Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curlin. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And this week, we're, we're preparing, we'll call it a holiday gift for all of us. So we're having a conversation with Michaela Hempen, and we've, many of you will have met Michaela already. She's been doing a research study on cribbing, and we've had Michaela in the podcast uh, to talk about the cribbing project and, and to introduce us to the subject of single subject design versus group study design so that we can understand how the research is done in the field of behavioral analysis, where instead of having a big group of subjects, you have an individual who it becomes their own control. So we had a podcast on that, and then we had Michaela back for a catch-up on the Caribbean Project. And now, Michaela, you are back again, which is really exciting. And part of the reason that I wanted to have you come in December for the podcast is because the two of us are going to be presenting at the January Clicker Expo. We're going to be doing a presentation on the work that you've been doing with your Mayor Blondie, who's the subject of the cribbing project. But we're going to be presenting not just on the cribbing, but on so much more. And it's just really, really pushing the envelope work that you've been doing. And of course, at the expo, people will be able to see the video that you've been producing because you've been really diligent about collecting video. And here in the podcast, we'll just do a sort of sneak preview tease of some of what we'll be talking about. And then, so we'll be talking about the Caribbean Project. We'll be talking about Blondie's Saddling Project, which is really what do you do with a crossover animal, which is really important since that's what so many of us are working with, and then also the Stallion Project that you're involved in with Anya Baron that we very much want to talk about. So where shall we begin in all of that? Dominique, where do you want to jump in? Uh, well, I can't wait to hear what's uh, where how uh, Blondie's doing. So let's start with that. Um, maybe, maybe Michaela, you can, um, just for people who don't know who she is, maybe wrap, uh, give them a little bit summary of, uh, the origin of this project with Blondie. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you both to invite me again. And I'd love to talk about Blondie some more. <laughs> so Blondie came to me as I was working with her on the cribbing study, so when I started the study, um, she belonged to a person who was uh, for a time in the same barn as me. So I met her as a three-year-old. And as I was describing in the other podcast, there was a moment when uh, the owner wanted to sell Blondie. And I was really quite far ahead in the study. I was like, ah, if she goes away, then uh, not only do I lose the, the data, but also having worked with her for four years, you know, you get quite attached. So with the help, as I always say again and again, with a big thank you to the Clicker Training community, I could purchase Blondie. She came to me and she has then 
been introduced in a new, completely new environment. So maybe, so people have an idea of where I met her. She was in a, in a boarding barn and she lived 24 seven in a box with a teeny tiny paddock outside. She had no access to pasture. Uh, she had no turnout with other horses. She had a horse next to her, which was separated by an electric fence. And um, the only time she was taken out was to either go into another paddock the size of a box alone or in training. So when you talk about impoverished animal welfare, that's what she was living. Yes, yes. And I do not think that is actually even meeting the minimum requirement uh, for horse welfare, husbandry. Uh, by law, they must have turnout for a couple of hours. And that when she went out into the little pen that was attached to her stall, that there was electric fencing around the perimeter of it. So she could not visit with her next door neighbors. She couldn't have, you know, contact, physical contact with them. And of course, when you've got, when you're in a small area and there's an electric wire, around the perimeter of your fence that makes that area even smaller so it, it was it was a horrible environment yeah, that's true yeah you know sometimes yeah sometimes i don't know about this particular electrical fence but sometimes when it's rainy the electricity is more um is conducive maybe not the right word but you you can get shocked hmm even a little farther from the um, from the wire because of the water in the soil, sometimes the electricity is um, traveling more. So when it's a very large area, it doesn't matter. But when it's a smaller area, you know, it, it's even worse, of course, to be in an electrical setting. But it was the perfect environment in a sense in that it was so impoverished for you to be able to do the initial stages of the cribbing research. Yes, for experimental control, it was <laughs> ideal. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was the purpose of the research? She, we have to say, and I'm sure if, if people go to your presentation, you will see the baseline, but she was a very, very heavy cribber. Yes. She would take a bite of hay crib, take a bite of hay crib. She was cribbing all the time and she was very lame um you know because she was um maybe you can you can talk about that just the baseline a little bit we should describe cribbing because not everybody will know because we so cribbing the horse will grab typically though there are many different ways in which horses can creatively crib but the standard is they grab hold of say a fence board uh with their front incisors and and then they arch their neck. They'll make this sort of inhaling sound, which I'm going to sound sounds really great on the recording. I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, and for many reasons, it is a very undesirable behavior. One of those reasons is it can destroy their front teeth. Often, people who have uh, horses will think that cribbers, that there's a connection between cribbing and colicking, but that connection is not established and 
we don't need to go down. There's a lot down. of unknown around yeah, the, there's these a lot behaviors, of right? Yeah, because a lot of things have been said and written, but there's still a lot of unknown. Yeah. And and yet it's very prevalent. Um, I don't know what the stats are. How, what's the percentage, uh, Michaela, of horses who crib? Well, there, there the are a couple. So one aspect is that it's more in the uh, performance horses. So you, uh, horses that are in sports or racing, uh, you do it more, you find it more there. And the numbers there can be quite high. If I'm not wrong, I think I read somewhere 7 to 21 percent. But that is in a, in a okay. very, wow. you know, already exposed, uh, stressed environment. So overall population, mm -hmm. that will be difficult to tell. But uh, I, I think I've read once something like 5%, but again, I don't remember the source, so I may be wrong, but I'm sure most listeners have seen a cribber. If they board horses, they've seen a cribber in a bar. Um, so it's it's quite prevalent. And to be honest, if you would if you'd look at um, say what is defined as stereotypic behavior, so a repetitive behavior, then it, so not only linking it to cribbing but to you know you have weaving so where they rock from one side to the other but also some others that people may not actually define as, as, as stereotypic mm -hmm. but probably is pretty similar like when they're rolling their tongue or some stick their tongue out uh, mm, yeah it's true. Um, and I think a lot of those if you will report all of them I think the percentage would scare us Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I start seeing these more and more now that I that I'm more receptive. So I'm I'm seeing you know a certain behavior. Right, right, right. And wasn't Blondie? Wasn't she weaving too? Wasn't that no. part of why she was so lame? She wasn't weaving. No, I think you're referring to another, another no? study. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But I mean, certainly this study is is relevant to all stereotypic uh, behaviors, and and it makes it even more interesting. Although for me, I know the cribbing is particularly of interest because right now there is no solution. You know, people put some colors around cribbing horses, and the horses still crib. I know of horses who have learned to just crib higher when they or to crib in the air because they have this color. And so there has been no real solution for cribbing horses so far. Yeah, I would say it goes even further because we'll get to that, I guess. But uh, the cribbing the study or the approach, I would say, applies to whatever behavior we want to teach our horses. Right. <laughs> so That's it's true. more of a That's teaching right. approach um, and how to, yeah, find, find. But... But that's interesting because in a way to what you just said is, is quite an uh, innovative way to talk about cribbing. Because usually it's been considered like a physiological, well, not only people would say it's a physiological thing. You can do some changes in the environment, you know, enrich the environment, but there has not been really a lot of success, you know, you, you, you can take a horse who cribs, put him outside with friends and hay and better condition, and you can still have cribbing. Yes, because they've not learned a new skill. You're, you're just taking mm -hmm. 
well, you're enriching the environment, it's, it's which good. is good for all, all horses. It's it's better, exactly. yeah, but it doesn't necessarily solve the cribbing. No, because you're not teaching anything new. What we're really looking at, I mean, one way of, of talking about it is to look at it as are we looking at behavior from a pathological mindset, that's the term that it's given, or a constructional mindset. Mm -hmm. And in the pathological, you're looking at what's wrong, what's broken, what you want to fix, what you want to get rid of or suppress. And in the constructional, you're looking at what is it that you would like. And you begin to teach and train the behaviors that you would like. And of course, in the clicker training, we talk about, you know, we, we want uh, to focus on what we want the, our learner to do, not the unwanted behavior. So that language has been sitting in clicker training from the very beginning. We want to focus on what we want our horse to do. I don't know that anyone has ever looked at cribbing this way, right? Yeah, the novelty, but it's also it's not only that we're trying to look at it from a constructional perspective, but also that even a much uh, more profound level that this is an operant behavior. Yes. Because if you look at it from a right. pathological point of view, you're looking at it like there's something wrong inside the animals. So there could be, you know, there's acidity, there are ulcers, there is a brain mm -hmm. change. Some Something is wrong, right? Or maybe they say the environment is poor and the, the horse's coping mechanism to deal with that impoverished environment or with the stress through competition, etc. Mm. So the animal has found this way of coping with it. But it's sort of described as an, yeah, a mechanism that comes from inside of the animal, sort of the brain has found a solution how to deal with it. But we are looking at it as an operant behavior that is that is reacting to change something environment, to affect the environment. So if you look at it from an operant behavior point of view, then you can start opening all those toolboxes with um, you know teaching behaviors, changing behaviors, all of all of that, which from the the way that you we usually look at cribbing and similar behaviors is it's not an operant behavior. They're not even thinking about operant behavior. So the new thing is actually to define it as an operant behavior and then accessing all those tools that this brings with it. So can you describe a little bit uh, the, uh, the experiments, uh, how you went about uh, this teaching process? All right, we do it short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Because we've done a, a whole exactly. podcast on this. So if people want to get the longer version, they can just look up, you know, Michaela's, I think it was the first podcast you did, or the second maybe it was. Yeah. So it's easy to find the whole version, but yeah, just yeah, as yeah. a summarize. So basically we started out and uh, in behavioral analysis, which I have to say, I'm a veterinarian, I'm not a behavior analyst. So I've just uh, tried to study what I can, uh, <laughs> learning what I can. <laughs> But you were doing this research with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, right? Yes. So, so yeah. I'm yes. So I learned a lot through that. Basically, you start out because it's the study of one. So you start out with a 24-hour video, which takes much more than one day to <laughs> to record. Um, so and then you start analyzing, going through the video the whole day and see if you can see a pattern. And I did that actually also with another horse. And only for those two examples, we found already a difference where in one horse, the cribbing was higher 
that was Blondie when she was fed hay. And the other horse, it was higher when he did not when when he did not have hay. So it was completely opposite, yeah. which already is interesting because that's you also do not find in the literature. The literature often they mm. often don't even look at hay; they look at uh, grains. It's usually described mm. as if it come that is it often occurs simultaneously to the feeding of grain. I've only found one quite old study where where they looked at cribbing in context of hay feeding, and unfortunately that mm. was a group design. If they they had made mm. available the individuals, that would have been really interesting. But that was the only one I found on hay actually. So look at only those two individual horses, and you have already two completely different patterns. I think that already says a lot. And um, so that was the the first thing. And um, so for Blondie, the feeding of the hay seemed to be important because the frequency of the cribbing peaked where around feeding time. So overall, as you said before, she had, she was a high frequency cribber. So overall, she had a frequency of one crib bite per minute over the day. One one cribbing occurrence per minute if you average it over the whole day. Okay. Once yeah. per minute. Not. I mean just imagine that. Once a minute you would crib. So so going around the 24 hour clock. Yeah. I'm picturing that um, say you have a whatever your bad whatever habit pattern you have, tapping a pen, say, because I just happen to have a pen in my hand that every minute around the 24-hour clock, on average, I'm tapping my pen. Yeah, that was her frequency. Oh, it's exhausting just thinking about it. But obviously it was yeah. packed. But in reality, it, it was yeah, packed. So it was really during meal times where it would be like how many a minute when she was at her peak? Oh, it would go up to 15. 15 cribbing per yeah. minute? Yeah. So yeah. as soon yeah, as she sure. started, uh, actually before... So that was the next step of the, of the study, actually. So, so once we identified that it was linked to the feeding of hay, we tested whether that assumption is correct or that hypothesis is correct. So we shifted the feeding time. So I started, normally they were fed at 6.30 in the morning. So we asked uh, at the barn if they could feed at 6 and then at 7 and then at 8. And we saw in the data that the frequency of the cribbing shifted together with the hay feeding. So mm -hmm. we could okay. show that it was actually linked to the feeding of, of the hay. And that was a huge aha because that meant that through changing environmental conditions, we can influence the cribbing. So we found an on and off switch for the cribbing, which is really huge if you think of it, because if it was yes. the ulcers or, or brain changes, etc. you would not be able to just switch, you know, the behavior on and off or change, change mm -hmm. the pattern because the ulcer is there. And an hour, you right. feed an hour later or an hour earlier may not influence that much because before the, uh, you know, the acidity and the saliva and everything is produced and adjusted, etc. you would not see such a drastic change in the, in the cribbing frequency. There may be a change, but it wouldn't be so drastic by just shifting the feeding time. That was that was a huge, huge piece that really said, okay, this 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 approach may actually work. Yes, it showed that the by changing yeah. the environment you can influence the cribbing. Yes. A simple change. 
you know, yes. not solve the problem. That's not the point. The problem, it's a proof of concept. It's that the, the environment has an influence on the cribbing. It's not independent mm -hmm. of the environment. It's not all going, originating from what's inside the horse. It is in response to the environment, to changes in the environment. Mm -hmm. And that, that opens the whole operant toolbox. Right. And that's novel. And the repercussions of that are not just for cribbing, but you start thinking about all kinds of situations, both for the horses and for people, where we think, well, it's it's in the organism in some way. And that actually, that it it is influenced by changes in the environment. And as you say, it opens the whole operant toolbox. And that may be getting a lot of wheels turning as people listen to this. Any bad habits you have, really, that you feel you're stuck with because, you know, that's that's the way I am. Well, this this is relevant. But this is already the term exactly, Dominique. You, we have to look at it like a habit. It's a habit. It's not something mm -hmm. pathological in the animal because there are some changes in the, you know, acidosis. And, and of course, you don't want the ulcers there. If there are ulcers, you have to treat them. I mean, that stays the same. But think of, think of it as a habit that you can change. We can change habits. We know how to change habits. Not easy. Not easy, but you but can. You can. Well, you can. Oh, yeah. 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 So thinking of it as a habit. So how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. So how did you change it? <laughs> well, disclaimer, it's, disclaimer, it's not solved. Eh? But uh, we have a really, really good handle that I think developing that forward actually would be could actually well it's a study it's an experiment it's novel so of course you yeah. know it's not necessarily a straight no. line <laughs> but uh, tell us what the endeavor has been all right so we had um, that first step so then we started meandering trying to find a way to solve it never any many different things we did in between but i'll just cut short to what we now think is uh, probably important pieces so in her case um, since it was linked to the eating of hay you would you need to start uh, in Alex's terms you need to start with a clean loop mm. so we'd need to find an environment or a setting where she could eat hay without the cribbing well it's not easy because one thing is they need to eat hay I cannot just say you know now I'm going to feed her very little hay, Something you know, um, and for the time and avoid the cribbing and say, because she needs to eat hay, <laughs> right? So that's one problem. The other problem is that this was not my horse. It was not my barn. So I cannot just change things as I, as I wanted. So what Jesus suggested was we need to differentiate the training conditions. So when we are building the new behavior and the everyday, because she, you know, I'm coming in there to do a little bit of training, but the other 23 hours, she's she's there, she needs to eat hay, she does her thing. So there must be a clear environmental change that uh, is relevant for her to know that this is different. And with the limited resources I had, the possibilities I had, I could create could create that. So you start out by changing the environment in the in the box and avoiding the cribbing the easiest way to do that is to cover the cribbing surface so if you put i put a rug over the cribbing surface i put a target up against the wall and i did a she knew target training from earlier uh, earlier things i did with her and so i taught her to eat 
tiny amounts of hay from my hand on condition of her reaching towards the target. So I would click that and give her tiny little bits of hay. And she would, you know, she doesn't even need to actually touch the target, just orient towards the target. She would get a little bit of hay. And since the cribbing surface was covered, that helped me, but I was still very uh, observant about her turning towards the cribbing surface so that I do not get a proxy for the cribbing, you know, where she would try to get there or anything. So I would build in small loops. So she would uh, touch the wall target, click, and I give her a tiny bit of hay, which did not cause her to wanting to crib in a way, if you want to describe it that way. But it was such small amounts of hay that she was busy touching, eating, touching, eating, touching, eating, touching, eating. So I had a clean loop. And I would expand that loop in tiny, tiny, tiny bits, making sure that she, I never have the feeling that she would leave to crib if she had the option. So just doing good shaping, you're just build, building that behavior up until you are reaching larger volumes of hay and longer durations. So I'm building the skill to eat hay and I'm helping her by changing the environment in a way I can get it. Yes, making the right behavior easier. Right. And the interesting part there, the really amazing part there is that, you know, you can build that as long as you, you know, in the same environment where she normally cribs, you build that in the same environment as long as there is a clear change in the environment that signals to her that this is, you know, different from what, what you were doing before. So if she cribs when you're not there eating her hay, it doesn't destroy all the work you've done because it's something separate. That's right. Alex, you wanted to come in? Well, I was just going to say there's so much to unpack there because someone could say, oh, well, I'll just, you know, this is easy. I'll just take my cribbing horse, cover the surfaces and feed hay. And when they're thinking, I'll feed little bits of hay, they're thinking, let me take a, you know, pull a flake apart and here's a big handful, here's a big handful. And that is not, that's not what you were doing. And it was so much more structured and systematic than that. And the, and normally we're thinking of, we've got the reinforcement side of the equation down the, you know, we, we click, we give the horse uh, a treat and it's the targeting, it's the behavior side of the click that we are expanding and building. And this is like almost the complete opposite of that. It's true, it's the opposite. But, <laughs> yeah, and actually, yeah, I wanted the rate of reinforcement yeah. to go really down, 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 <laughs> in, in the same that she yes. was able to, you know. <laughs> and I did, I wanted very little precision on the wall target because the, the, the less she went to the target, the better. You know, I don't even want her. I want her to have her head down. Don't even think about the target. So it's the complete opposite. <laughs> yes, it's the other side, actually. Yes. So I wanted to build the reinforcement yeah. side rather than the behavior side. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, that was the first piece. Yeah. Yeah. The video that you have of that is actually quite fascinating. I mean, you would not think that watching a horse eat hay would be as compelling theater as it is. But I mean, it really is fascinating to see this process of teaching a horse how to eat and and that's it how to just eat yeah it's the contrast that makes it relevant if you've seen her eat the contrast yes. is just astounding yeah. yeah eating is a behavior too yes yes it is it is 
And then this, I think one of the things that is also really important is this idea that you have the training conditions. So the environment looks so very different. And then you take the, the rug away, you take the training conditions away, and Blondie comes back into her stall, and her stall looks like her stall has always looked. And she's fed hay by the barn staff the way she's always fed hay by the barn staff. And she's cribbing. And so often we would be thinking, oh, this, this, this is terrible. This isn't going to work. She's cribbing. We don't want her to crib. How can we get her to stop cribbing, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're seeing is that you can grow a whole new repertoire of behaviors without needing to suppress, squash, get rid of the other unwanted behaviors. And it's not a failure in the initial stages if the cribbing continues, even while the beginning stages of the study are being developed. And I think we saw that so profoundly in the case history that Jesus had with one of his graduate students with the horse who showed a tremendous amount of very anxious behavior when it was brought in to eat grain. I think that Dominique is the horse you're thinking about. Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that yeah, horse yeah. was weaving and, and yeah, yeah, pace yeah. and weave and pace and weave and and it was that's right. That's the one know, I was thinking. And it was a horse about. at a horse rescue, and they they were bringing the horse in for all, the most benign reason of all. They wanted the horse to get more grain because it was underweight, and yet the horse this horse was probably expending more energy stressing over being separated from his pasture mates than he was from eating any of the grain that was in the stall. And they set up the experimental conditions. In that case, it was a different stall. So it was quite a change of environment. When he was brought into the original stall, he would still pace and weave, pace and weave. And then you would see him in the other stall, the, the one that had the experimental conditions. And after a period of time, he was calmly eating his hay is great. And it's really quite astounding to see that these two conditions can exist in basically the same time frame. Right. So so you started with a, let's say, two second loop, and then you expanded that up to what? I expanded that to roughly, I think I was at four minutes. And then after that, we started the second part. So the second part was then to to teach her to eat, to use that skill, you know, to use that skill in the training environment. So she was able to eat her, her, uh, her hay with the cribbing surface covered. And then, so that was the base behavior basically, uh, which was linked to a routine. So the routine, the normal routine would be, you know, the barn staff comes and provides hay to each of the horses as they are in their box. They are next to the barn aisle and just waiting for the hay to come in. In the training condition routine, I would uh, go in, take her out to the outside, to her outside area paddock, close. Then I would cover the cribbing surface and then put hay in. And then I get her, I open the door so she can come in and eat her hay for 20 minutes, which was arbitrarily set. And at the end of the 20 minutes, I would take 
the, if there was hay remaining, I would take the little hay that remains outside to the paddock area, close, remove the curtains, and I open again, and she's back into non-training, everyday life condition. So the routine is important. Okay, so you, yeah, yeah, you just said remove the curtains, but you didn't talk to us about yes, the curtain okay. yet. So that, that meaning that <laughs> I covered the surface, that my way of covering the surface was a, a curtain. It's not important that it's a curtain. It's the important thing is that it's um, no. you're covering the surface yeah. in a way that you can change it. And the curtain was a good way of, of doing it. So it's, so it's the same as the rug, because you, you mentioned the rug before, just so it was the same, a curtain or a rug, whatever. Yeah, that covers. I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to sell rugs and curtains with a, you know, with a copyright on it. No. But it was a simple. So yeah, you, it was a simple depending change, on where so. the horse cribs, obviously, where the surface is and what uh, what possibilities you have, the the curtain in the end was a very practical practical solution. Um, so covering the surface with a with a curtain that goes all the way from the ceiling down to the floor was a was a very practical solution, and it's a very obvious change of the environment. It was a shower curtain. Wasn't Initially, it? no. Initially, it was a, a, ah. a, a, a how you call it? a bed cover, like a, <laughs> an old ah, okay, an old linen. But did I see a shower curtain at some? That point? comes after because my face. Yeah. So the next step would be. Uh, so you wanted to teach, well, actually, you wanted to maintain the behavior of eating hay, not only in the training condition, but you want to have that in the end in the everyday condition, right? Mm, so how challenge. do you get there? And the, the procedure right. is to fade out that curtain. So you're getting closer and closer and closer to the normal everyday setup of the stall, but you don't do it in one go, but you, you shape it. So you shape not the behavior, but you shape the environment in a way that you reach, uh, that she basically doesn't even notice. She just keeps going, um, continuing the, the clean loop of eating her, her hay. In all conditions. Yes. So you you begin generalizing it to, to all conditions. That's right. that's the idea. So over time with the routine, because in the end, the routine would help you if the curtain is no longer there, the routine actually could take over that. And that's a routine you can easily ask barn staff to do. You say you take the horse out, put in the hay, let the horse back in. You cannot ask them to put up, you know, something funny. You also have to remember that if if you would simply, after the training, you would just go back to the normal, that is the barn staff goes along the aisle and shoving the hay as they did before, you get the same behavior as before. Mm -hmm. You put back all the conditions. You put back everything you had tried to change the habit because the conditions are the same as the, it did before the cribbing comes back. The behavior comes back. Mm -hmm. So in a way, in the training conditions, there was this prop, the shower curtain, but there was also all this routine. So you got rid of the prop, but you maintain the routine to have something different from before exactly. when she was cribbing. Exactly. So you can man you maintain okay. that. So I, I didn't quite get all that way because uh, um, I did not want to leave Blondie there forever. And COVID stroke, and mm -hmm. there was a moment where we were told we cannot visit our horses anymore. And uh, mm -hmm. I saw her in that box being locked in for the next month or more, and I would not be able to take her out of there. I could not take it. So I 
I went to like a horse thief. I, <laughs> I went, it was, everything was already locked. And I agreed with the barn owner, say, I don't care, you're going to open uh, the gate for me so I can take her out. <laughs> and I was driving across the streets in Italy looking for the carabinieri if they will stop me at some point. So I didn't get all... So you moved yeah, around. But, yeah, so I went pretty far though. So I started with a completely covered curtain, always adding... In the new place. In, no, 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 in the old place the before I moved place. her out. So I had the whole whole curtain yeah, okay. combined with the routine, training condition, whole curtain. Right. And uh, over time, and I have to say, I only went until she, before she was mine, I went only in, in the weekends. So I had Saturday and Sunday to train, half an hour, so 20, 20 minutes of training. And then the whole week I didn't go and I went again Saturday and Sunday. So it's not much training time, but it was really quick if you are not cutting too much away of the curtains. So I started with a full curtain and then I cut tiny pieces of the curtains and I faded from full visual uh, cover to a semi-transparent and to a transparent and then cutting it small and cutting it small and cutting it small and tiny pieces so small that I did not change the deviation in the behavior. So I still had a clean 20 minutes eating hay without cribbing attempt. So you, you, if, if you would, if there was too much of a watching towards the cribbing surface, I would go back a step and make the curtain again a little bit lower to make sure that I'm not jumping ahead. So over, you know, okay. months, I would make it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And in the end, um, she was able to eat 20 minutes, which was my experimental duration, 20 minutes. Uh, with two tiny little strips of fully transparent curtains that were far above her head, barely visible. And that was enough for her to induce the, together with the procedure of getting her out and back in, that would be enough of a cue for her to cue eating hay calmly. And that is, that is really huge. I'm still surprised by it. Yeah. Right. And that took how long with just those weekend training uh, sessions from beginning, from, from the time when you took that 24 hour I think it was from September to, to January, roughly. Okay. And I, there was one more step because when the ownership was transferred to me, I went every day and I went after work. So it, when it was to winter and it was dark. So instead of going during lunchtime on the weekend, I now went in the evening during winter when it was dark. And I realized that I have to start from scratch because it's dark. It's a different condition. So she regressed when you started in those? Yes. So I restarted completely with a complete coverage and I did the whole thing again for the night. In because it's a different okay. condition. And if you want to generalize, you know, your day has a bright side and a dark side. So to cover the 24 hours and the, uh, you need to generalize. Certainly has a lot of uh, repercussion in terms yes. of training. Yes. You know, just general generalization, you know, even if, if with, with just behavior that you are teaching, that uh, just the time of day, the brightness of the day makes a difference in generalizing a behavior. So, so when you started doing that, she, she went back to almost 
the starting point and you had to reshape the whole thing back to 20 minutes. No, I didn't let her go back all the way. I mean, I noticed straight away that this wasn't working. Oh, yeah, yeah. You no, reacted. No, no. Yeah, yeah. So you stopped, stopped that right, right away. And and you reshaped it back to yeah, 20 minutes. I did. No, it was always 20 minutes. So she's, okay. the experimental time was always 20 minutes. That one again. I only did the, the oh. curtains and cutting the curtains shorter. That one I repeated in the, in the evening. The wall target with the amount okay. of hay, uh, I, I did not repeat that. You didn't that. have to do no. that. Yeah. And so then you moved to a new place. Yes, so I moved her to... You took yeah. her out. You took her out of that barn. What happened? So she was. We did over two weeks. We did the in integration into the herd, and she was lucky. She got immediately adopted by our queen. So uh, our oldest, okay. old, oldest mare uh, took her under her wing and said, "You're my new best friend." So okay. it, in two weeks, she was uh, fully integrated in in the herd. And we prepared, okay. we prepared the area um, again to prevent the, the potential cribbing. So we put some, we became very creative. <laughs> then she was, uh, she was really, she was back uh, together with the other horses eating hay from the, uh, from the big bale. For two months, there was no cribbing. At all. Since she came the whole time, there was there was no cribbing, okay. and after two two months, um, it started reoccurring. However, the 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 shaping, the, the topography, um, the intensity, etc., was was a bit different than it was before. So, just to to recap, so she before she came to the new to your place or to the new place, it's your place. No, no, it? I'm boring. Or, okay, so before she came to to the new place. She wasn't cribbing, obviously, during the training, the 20-minute training, but she was still cribbing the rest of the day? Oh, yeah, she was still totally cribbing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so she was still totally cribbing, but during those 20 minutes, during the day or even in the evening, she was no longer cribbing with the shower, with two little yes. pieces of shower. She comes into the new place, which is a huge environment change. Yes. So in a way, it's not attached to the old cribbing condition yeah. so in a way it's a like oh yeah. that's good and for two months she doesn't crib and all of a sudden it re reoccurs and what's your take on all that how do you how do you <laughs> it took yeah it took a lot of scratching head scratching what what occurred because obviously the thought was the environment is cribbing free right so uh, if we set it up smartly it would not reoccur right which you know worked for a while but of course there were many changes because we had taken uh, she had to accommodate to the new social structures to the new everything her feet uh, because we had taken the the uh, shoes off um, everything different dealing with other horses dealing with other people dogs everything so it, there was a lot for her to mostly the herd dynamics i think that kept her really busy so you could argue that she was just too busy mm. to integrate, to think about the cribbing, or that the process worked until a certain point, until she was maybe more comfortable uh, eating with the others at the same time. And I think there's one important factor that probably brought it back, which is we have searched a long time for the right type of hay because my senior horse uh, is um, it's very sensitive to the dust. So we have found a hay that works for him that I cannot easily change because <laughs> he, 
he needs that type of hay, but it's very compact. And for her to get the hay out, she really needs to bite in. And I think that the, the topography of biting the hay out was so similar to the cribbing that it sort of um, the associations came came back. Yeah, that that's my take on it. So possibly if we had, but that's I, I can't say anything about it. But I'm wondering if she had had hay, loose hay available, maybe she may not have started. But who knows? I don't know. It's a thought right. I had, maybe. Right. And so is there a continuation now? After yes, that? Um, yes, definitely. No, no. We'll, um, I'm writing, we're writing it up um, and want to publish this part because if I continue, if I, if I do the next experiment now, I'll be, con you know, collecting more data and then I will never write it up. So um, as soon as that is, that paper is submitted, I will do the next uh, test, the next experiments. Yeah. And so what would your goal be for the next experiment? Where do you want to? Well, there are a couple of interesting things that I learned. Her. The, apart from that cribbing that occurs during hay um, feeding or eating. Um, Blondie does not in the, where, where she is in her environment, if they go out uh, on grass, also she doesn't crib on anything else. She doesn't crib on, uh, you know, on the fence or when she's out with the others. On, she only cribs at the bale. Okay. And it's sort of the typical, you know, eat a little bit of hay, crib, bale, hay. And her topography changed. What she's now doing is she's pulling on the hay net. She's not doing mm -hmm. the same type of cribbing as she did before, which is good because I think it's less damaging okay. on her teeth, certainly. So that's one thing. But the other thing I noticed is that uh, during, if I work at Liberty in the, in the school, in the outdoor school, we also have fence there. And at a cert certain moments, she would go crib there and that's sort of the training cribbing and to me these are two completely different behaviors mm -hmm. and they need completely different approach in yeah trying to understand it even or trying to address it the one is a very strong habit oh, okay. linked to you know probably like like us you know when you're doing stuff you're not even thinking about you're just all of a sudden you may be noticing that you were doing it Whereas the training is more, it's something that I can change in my own approach, my own training, my training steps, how I set it up, et cetera. I can change it dramatically by just changing how I train. So that's actually, mm -hmm. in a way it's easier to solve. On the other hand, it's, it, it's a lot on me, <laughs> you know, why did she go crib? So now, for example, she no longer does it during training. When she does it is when I set up the camera, for example, I set up the camera and or I finish and I go and collect the camera. In these moments, she would go crib. But during the training, she doesn't go crib. If she does, then mm -hmm. I know, well, my interpretation is that my training step was too big. I did maybe not read her emotions correctly. I did not read her hesitation correctly. And I changed my training and then she doesn't leave. Mm -hmm. So this, mm -hmm. this is a different cribbing, different behavior. Right, right, right. So I would love to um, show that experimentally, that it is different, but I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> okay. Wow. You have, uh, you know, it's, I guess you could spend a whole <laughs> lifetime on this subject. You know, there's so much to unpack there when you start looking at it this way. 
you know, as an operant behavior, different behavior, even in different conditions. Yeah. But what I really think is you know, sort of even more profoundly important than addressing the cribbing is what you- Which have, is a big deal. Which is a very big deal. It's a big deal. But an even but... bigger deal is really looking at what you've done from the perspective of Blondie as a crossover horse. Because so many of us have taken on horses that, you know, they've had previous training history, not always the kindest, most positive experiences in the world. So you have horses that show emotional behaviors such as just shutting down, you know, that the, the horse that shows minimal effort seems to be, in quotes, bored. Or the horses who, when you, in, in Blondie's case, when Michaela was saddling her, Blondie would do the, the reach around and, and pin her ears as Michaela was reaching for the girth. That is so normal. You know, mm-hmm. it's sadly so normal, so common. That was that, that study, Michaela, that you shared with me where they were, uh, they were looking at the uh, emotional behaviors that horses exhibited while they were being groomed and tacked up. And some just horrifically sad percentage of these horses showed emotional behavior, unwanted emotional behaviors, the pinning the ears, the swishing of the tail, the swinging the head around, to the point that, that you almost think, well, that's just normal for saddling except it shouldn't be normal for saddling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the study, they, they, they found, I think, uh, as um, horses not showing any any of these behaviors, not zero, but less than a certain percentage. So it was not that these, there's a small percentage of, I think it was 0.3 to 1% of a really, actually a large sample size. They showed either no or less than, uh, was it 5% of the time? So it was not zero. It was not even zero. It was less than, right? Right. So of these 0.3 to 1.5% of 500 something horses was not even zero. It was just so little yeah. that they considered it, all right, we can consider that as being okay with it. And that was, it's a horrible study. Yeah. I mean, it's a good study, but the, example, yeah. the results were horrible. That's right. And we certainly often can get horses to the point where they are in quotes, tolerating something. So you you work with a horse and they are tolerating being groomed or tolerating having the saddle put on, as in you're not swinging their head around to to bite it at the air as you, or to bite at you, never mind just the air, to bite at you as you are putting the saddle on. But they are just, they are standing in quotes politely. But the change in Blondie, change in her affect is just astounding. And I think that this is really the, the bigger ripple effect because there are a lot of people listening to this who say, well, it's really interesting what you did with the cribbing, but I don't have a cribber, so it's not relevant to me. But you have a crossover horse who maybe swishes his, his tail when you groom him or shifts away or tries to move away when you bring the saddle out, and if you weren't tied, you would walk off kind of thing. How can we take what you learned from the cribbing study and apply it 
to these other situations, such as the saddling. And I think that's really what was so exciting about what you've been doing with Blondie. If you had not bought her and she had you know, stayed at the other barn and you had completed phase one of the cribbing study and then you know, life happens and you move off in a different direction and so on, it would have been really interesting. You would have had great data. But the fact that you bought her <laughs> and she's now living in your, in your herd and that you're not just treating her as the cribbing horse, but you, that she is becoming integrated into your equine family and you want to do things like ride her <laughs> and you want to ride a horse that is welcoming to the whole procedure. That's what's really important. So the, the work that you did around that and some of the videos that you were sharing with me through the winter, I mean, it was just fascinating to see the change in her. I hope you're not surprised that we're stopping here. We're about to switch gears and talk about the saddling project. The approach that Michaela took with Blondie was directly influenced by what she was learning from the cribbing project. So this seemed like a good spot to take a break and then we'll pick up again with the saddling project next week. I love what Michaela did to help Blondie become comfortable with saddles because the change in Blondie was so night and day different. In the starting point, she was reaching around and snapping at Michaela, and, and at the end, she's just completely relaxed and comfortable with the whole saddling procedure. So next time we're gonna talk about not just the procedures that Michaela used, but the whys behind them. As I said at the start of this program, Michaela is going to be joining me at the Clicker Expo. We're going to be doing a presentation together. We're going to be showing the video that illustrates what we've been talking about, both here in this podcast on the Caribbean Project, and then again next week when we look at some more of Michaela's work with Blondie. And we'll be expanding on the underlying concepts behind the training choices that Michaela was making. So we're really going to be looking at the what the why and the how of these projects. And then in addition to our program, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and Mary Hunter will be presenting at the Clicker Expo. What they're going to be sharing and what we're doing, all of this work is interconnected. So the Expo will be a great opportunity to assemble some major pieces of the training puzzle. The January Clicker Expo is a virtual event. So it doesn't matter where you live, what part of the planet you call home, you can still access the conference. So go to clickertraining.com to learn more about it or just Google the Clicker Expo. And if you want to go even deeper into the science and the practical applications, then join us in February and again in September for our science camps. That's when Jesus, Michaela, Mary and I all get together along with Anita Snay, and we have three glorious days in which we get to explore these concepts. To learn more about Science Camp, visit my website, theclickercenter.com. And again, that's a virtual event, so it doesn't matter where you live, you can still participate. Science Camp follows a very different format from most conferences. In a typical conference, you have a time slot in which there is a speaker 
on a particular topic, and when that time slot is done, the speaker stops. In science camp, we have a major theme for the day, but we don't have a rigid structure. So we're free to take our time. We're free to go down rabbit holes. We're free to explore questions in greater depth. We're free to take a truly deep dive into the subjects that we pick. So in a way, Science Camp is like these podcasts. Dominique and I meet up with a guest, a friend, and we just start talking. And we talk away the afternoon. We explore lots of different topics, as you've seen. And when we finally run out of steam or our animals are saying, you have to stop now, we need to go out, that's when we stop. We're stopping here because it's a good place to take a break. But the conversation with Michaela kept on going. So next time, we'll pick up again with the Saddling Project. If you want to join us and be part of the conversation, then come join us at Science Camp in February. Again, go to my website, theclickercenter.com, for more details on that event. And until then, happy holidays, everyone, and have fun with your horses. 